1: I'm Damian Bulwa. And I'm Joe Garofoli. This is a special joint episode of Fifth and Mission, and it's all political. And it's a fitting time to do so, Joe, because once again, we've been overtaken by the politics in Washington, D.C. We are staggering as a country, it feels, toward the January 20th inauguration of Joe Biden. Unbelievable.
0: It it is. And it's, uh, we we went from uh, yesterday, the, the very sad. Images of the Confederate battle flag being taken through the, the People's House, uh, the, the U.S. Capitol, uh, to today when uh, you know the leading Democrats in the country are talking about the removal of the president, not only impeaching him again po- possibly, but uh, invoking the never before used 25th Amendment.
1: All Right. So it's late Thursday as we record this, Joe, and Speaker Pelosi of California and Senator Schumer of New York have called on the vice president to invoke the 25th Amendment. That's what they think is the first action there. I think I saw some reporting that they um, were left on hold for a while as they tried to Tw- 25 minutes, I believe it was 25 minutes. So they've, they've taken this action Joe on Thursday. What does this mean? Is this going to happen? They said they might go to impeachment if that doesn't happen. I, I, don't, don't hold
0: your breath on, on either of these things. And, and the main reason is it's, it's two, there are two reasons, one politics and two time, uh, it takes uh, to, to, in, to invoke the 25th Amendment. This is something that you know looks cool when you see it on West Wing, but in real life, it takes a while. You have to get half of the cabinet to uh, uh, agree with you, along with the vice president, to uh, remove the president. Uh, and then uh, the president gets to say, well, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm fine. And then it goes to the House of Representatives and the Senate and, and, and two thirds of, of those bodies have to agree to remove the president. We saw how difficult it was to impeach the president. We saw how difficult it was uh, in the vote uh, the other night about certifying the election. Those were far, uh, you know, the, it, that's, that's not gonna happen. The votes aren't there, the time isn't there. As far as impeachment, um, uh, I was just on a, uh, a conference call with Zoe Lofgren. She's a congresswoman from San Jose. She's a member of the Judiciary Committee and she's been involved in uh, three of the four impeachments in U.S. history. Uh, she wasn't around for the one of uh, Andrew Jackson in the 1860s. Uh, so she said that, she was asked, is there time? She said, well, number one, the traditional way you would impeach someone would be to go through the committees, the judiciary committee, et cetera. Those committees haven't even been organized yet for this uh, Congress. So she anticipates a resolution being uh, taken directly to the floor. Uh, that said, even Lofgren, Again, a veteran of this of these impeachments, she was a, a manager in Trump's impeachment. Said it depends on the Senate. Are they going to want to get want to do this? It would take sixteen Republican senators to sign on to impeachment. I I really have a hard time seeing the votes there. Uh, there there weren't last time.
1: All right. So it it does feel like kind of a mix of motivations, Joe. We have obviously, I think, very real concern about what's going to happen in the next 2 weeks and we're seeing that somewhat in in both parties wanting to take action for fear of what the president may do in light of what he did this week. Um Joe, are there also and I don't know if I want to call it politics, but it feels like there is also an effort to get a lot of these politicians on the record uh force them to sort of take a stand, are you what are you back? Where are you?
0: Oh yeah, uh certainly on the on the half of uh, behalf of the the Democrats they are. They want the Republicans on board. We um, I heard from a lot of readers today uh, who are very happy that we, uh, put, we uh, wrote about the Republicans in and, uh, and California and what their decision was to do that uh, on the vote to certify the election. Uh, and, and people want to see their, their uh, representatives on the record on this. Um, it's, uh, it, it's a gamble uh, on, on the part of the Democrats and for the Republicans. The gamble is how popular will Trumpism be going forward? Trump will be gone. Trumpism will live on. How popular, how powerful will it be?
1: Yeah, really interesting dynamic also playing out in, in the commentary from the Republican side, Joe. On one hand, uh, saying that they, at times that they denounce the, uh, the rioters who came into the U S Capitol and, uh, and on the other still kind of a bit of distancing to say, Oh, that was Antifa and, and a sort of unwillingness to push back on the sort of fabrications that we yes, continue to
0: and, see. And let's, uh, let's hasten to add that there is no evidence that Antifa was involved there. I, I, I don't quite know how that would work. Um, but, uh, but you hear it I, there was, uh, Kevin McCarthy, our, our very own, uh, Kevin McCarthy, top Republican in the house from Bakersfield. He was on Fox news last night and uh, Laura Ingram said, well, you know, you know, we don't even know if it was Antifa. Uh, McCarthy said nothing. He did not push back on that contention at all because of the fear of Trump and his Trump supporters. Uh, a lot of Republicans say that they've uh, gotten death threats for their votes. Uh, you know, last night, um. It was last night, right? Yes. So the Wednesday night, I, for, for, <laughs> it, it feels, feels like, like it's week. all, this week is all sort of blurred into one. Um, so, uh, and, and so th- that's, um, it's an issue going forward.
1: All right. So Joe, that brings us to a, a great article on sfchronicle.com. Check it out that you wrote, but just looking at the future of the Republican party, which appears very much in the balance as it has maybe for a while. Um, but you write about McCarthy and how he's still hitched himself to the Trump train so far.
0: Kevin McCarthy is, uh, is going to be a great barometer to watch? Um, he is uh, very tight with Trump. He's so tight with Trump. uh, Trump calls him my Kevin. Um, but, but he has, um, the thing to know about McCarthy is that he is not someone who is an ideologue. He is someone who is a masterful politician in that he always has his finger on the pulse of the Republican base. He had it uh when he was a young man, he was uh, a, a ran a moderate faction of the uh young Republicans. Uh he was sort of a he was a friend of Silicon Valley before that wasn't cool. Uh in you know as as recently as a, maybe a decade ago. Uh and then he uh and even he was even reluctant. Uh, he wasn't necessarily on the Trump train early. Um Washington Post a couple of years ago in 2016, when Trump was uh, still candidate, Trump had a recording of him saying that, uh, uh, you know, I, I think there's uh, a couple of guys who are on Putin's payroll and one of them is Trump and one of them is Dana Rohrbacher. And Trump, uh, McCarthy later, uh, the aide said he was joking, but it was on a recording. Um, he very soon after uh, Trump took office, uh, he became one of his uh, closest uh, allies on Capitol Hill, certainly closest to uh, one of his closest confidants in the Republican Party. Um, and uh, and he's Trump, or I'm sorry, McCarthy is staying on board the Trump train now. He's not going to get off it anytime soon. Uh, as we said, uh, the, the Trump army is still very powerful. But watch where McCarthy goes over the next four, five, six months, a year even, to see how close. Uh, to see uh, the power of Trumpism after that because uh, it, McCarthy goes where the power goes. He uh, he has his finger on the pulse of the Republican base, and we will know more then.
1: All right, Joe, one more question for you, and I want to mention uh, to our listeners that on the back half, we're going to have a Chronicle reporter, Chase DiFelici Antonio, talking about how Donald Trump has been kicked off some of the web platforms, including twitter and facebook for what happened this week but joe uh, before we do that what do you make of the resignations this week uh some in the white house on the cabinet uh transportation secretary elaine chow who's mitch mcconnell's wife stepped down it is quite late
0: joe <laughs> yeah it's a it's with two weeks to go it's basically you're getting a, a running start to the parking lot um that's, I mean, that's, that's what exactly what it is. It's like, sometimes my dad, when I was growing up, he would say, uh, let's leave the Steeler game early so we can get out of the parking lot early. Um, uh, you know, here's what Chow said. And by the way, she is the wife of Mitch McConnell. So who is, uh, not a, 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 sort of an out outgoing friend of Trump these days. She wrote a note to her, um, colleagues in the department of transportation that said, um, uh, yesterday, our country experienced a traumatic and entirely avoidable event as supporters of the president stormed the Capitol building following a rally he addressed. As I'm sure is the case with many of you, it has deeply troubled me in a way that I simply cannot set aside. Um, I mean, she's she has uh, been un- an unblinking supporter of the president for four years. And even before that, she said nothing about his lies about the election, but suddenly uh, she she departed. Same with Mick Mulvaney. Remember, Mulvaney was Trump's uh, chief of staff. He also just resigned as a special envoy to Northern Ireland, uh, to, uh, to Northern Ireland uh, uh, today on Thursday, and he said, uh, "You know, uh, I, I can't take anymore. Uh, I don't." He, he he couldn't put up with it any longer. But he put up with it for four years. He put up with the Trump's lies about the election. But suddenly, he said, "I can't take anymore. I got to get out."
1: Well, this this 12 day span is going to look great on the resume, I think. <laughs> yes, right.
0: I, I got out early.
1: <laughs> All right, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back on this joint episode of It's All Political and the Fifth Admission Podcast right after this.
0: Welcome back to this special joint edition of the Fifth Admission Podcast and the It's All Political Podcast. And now we have a special guest, don't we, Damien?
1: Yes, we do. Chase De Felici Antonio is a reporter who covers uh, technology and the workforce for us and has been covering another big issue here, which is the, uh, Chase, tell us the right wording, but the deplatforming of Donald Trump in recent days, which has been a hot issue throughout his presidency. What has happened on these platforms to the president?
2: Well, it's been a pretty uh, exciting and uh, unprecedented 24 hours for the president on uh, social media, which is frankly saying something, given that he's pushed the boundaries of Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, you name it, uh, pretty much throughout his his presidency. Um, uh, Basically, early uh, today, uh, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg said that uh, in light of uh, what happened yesterday with the the rioting and the mob taking over uh, the U.S. Capitol, uh, that uh, Trump would be uh, taken off and and not allowed to to post on facebook uh he said indefinitely uh at least up until uh the inauguration uh, he's saying it's just a matter of basic safety um and that uh they'll be also be taking that action on, on instagram as well with which um which facebook owns um i mean th- this is uh is is huge news because uh, facebook has uh you know been slower than maybe other platforms like twitter in the past as far as um uh, limiting what Trump uh, can say and, and do there. Uh, you know, there have been a fair amount of uh, examples uh, more recently of uh, Facebook and Twitter flagging or tagging or hiding uh, posts that, that Trump puts up. Um, but, but this is really uh, the, a step that many have been pushing for for, for a very long time. Uh, Twitter and Facebook have said, well, he is the president of the United States and, and the public has uh, a right to, to hear and understand what that person, as important as they are, uh, is is saying, um, but they're saying that at this point uh, they, he's violated enough of their policies and threatened people's safety um, that uh, this is a necessary step. Twitter uh, last night said they would um, require him to take down some tweets that he made that were uh, inciting some violence, uh, quite incendiary uh, during the riots yesterday, and that last night they said he was, uh, his account would be locked for twelve hours, and that you know they they opened the door to that remaining the case uh, pretty indefinitely. And it's, it's hard to overstate this because he has uh, around 88 million followers on Twitter and 35 million followers on Facebook. So that is a it's a it's a really uh, uh, massive reach. Um, and then, of course, uh, Twitter and Facebook being kind of the preeminent uh, social media giants. Uh, they uh, have seen other companies follow suit. So um, uh, video game and live streaming website Twitch, which is owned by Amazon, They've also uh, locked out his account. You can still see some videos up there that he's posted in the past, but nothing new is able to go up. Um, and then YouTube has uh, also taken steps. Um, they've t- said they've been taking down videos that uh, promote disinformation about the election uh, and other issues, and that uh, they've also opened the door to a, a permanent uh, ban on uh, on his account.
0: Uh, Chase, doesn't, isn't, isn't Facebook sort of like the Elaine Chow of, of uh, social media groups? Uh, social media platforms. I mean, it's sort of, they're sort of late. This is two weeks before the guy's about to leave. Where were they been for the last couple of years? And are they just trying to to sort of curry favor with the Democrats who are going to be coming into office, coming into power, running those Senate committees like Elizabeth Warren, who has uh, made one of the, the staples of her presidential campaign was to break up big tech.
2: Right, so I, I think this all, of course, can't be seen in a vacuum. I mean, Zuckerberg in particular and Facebook have been walking this really fine line, especially in the last year, where I mean, a lot of their traffic and therefore ad revenue comes from uh, a lot of uh, right wing commentators and sites, and so they've uh, taken fire uh, from uh, Trump and others on the right uh, about uh, their perceived, uh, you know, liberal uh, Silicon Valley bias, but. Uh, so so they've had to kind of uh, allay those fears at the same time, keeping those commentators, uh, some of them who are quite incendiary themselves, a- on the site to to keep that kind of traffic flowing. And you know, I think uh, at a certain point, um, now that the the transition of power is 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 not in doubt, um, I think Facebook realized that they they no longer have to placate Trump, although, and they may lose uh, some of that that right wing right wing viewership. You know, there's. Some other uh, websites that have cropped up, uh, you know, Parler, for example, that are specifically catering to um, uh, more uh, right-wing ideologies uh, in in the uh, in the wave of this. Uh, but it's 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 no coincidence that uh, this is happening during a transition of power to the uh, uh, to the Democrats um, across the board at the federal level. But it's it's also worth noting that, as you say, it's it's not just uh, the uh, Trump and and the right that has uh, attacked social media. Um, uh, Google and Facebook are, are the um, the focus of multiple antitrust lawsuits right now, and as you say, uh, Elizabeth Warren and others have have called for them to be uh, broken up, broken apart, for um, you know Instagram to be essentially pried away from from Facebook because it's it's too big. Um, so there there is absolutely a a, a political dimension here that is uh, more beginning than than ending, if anything.
1: So, Chase, and, and forgive me, because I'm still um, thinking about Joe calling Facebook the Elaine Chow of, of social media. But but, Chase, tell us a little bit about the, the larger issues. This has been very difficult. They have sort of set a line, these companies, in, I believe, just just when the election was, was threatened and now when the U.S. Capitol was breached. In the future, uh, do we see them perhaps doing a better job of policing the sites and actually um, getting into people who are, are spreading misinformation, QAnon and other other movements? Yeah, so I think as time has gone on, they've at least
2: uh, made a show uh, of trying to limit the, the spread of, of disinformation, uh, you know, in, in intentional uh, wrong information about something uh, like the election. But again, th- there are so many people and so many organizations on these platforms that it really uh despite all of their tech prowess and, and ability it it there only is so much that uh groups like uh or companies like facebook and and Twitter can do to take down things in in real time and and that 's kind of the issue here is things do bubble up uh they calling for violence or secession sedition all, all these things that supposedly violate their policies, and when they get to a certain point they, they will take them down or limit people 's ability to see them or uh, limit their uh, circulation, uh, but they, they, they can't do that necessarily in, in real time all the time, and, and these are, are real-time platforms. Um, you know, w- once a tweet has been up for, say, 10, 15 minutes, that's pretty much the end of its life cycle. People have seen it. It's, uh, it's been digested. So some folks have uh, brought up the idea of, uh, uh, you know, almost like a, a pre-censorship, uh, <laughs> maybe isn't the right word, but looking at uh, tweets from a person like Trump uh, who has a history of uh, saying things that uh, violate the po- uh, policies of the company uh, and the platform and also, frankly, call for violence and not letting them go up and, and be circulated uh, publicly until uh, they've, they've been reviewed. Um, obviously, you can't do that with every single tweet and probably nor should you. But that, that is one way that this is being looked at. Um, uh, I think another topic that's uh, it, it is is more bubbling up and, and hasn't necessarily been talked about um, all that much in Government circles, but that uh, researchers who study social media have talked about is this question of well, why should the president even be able to tweet? Who, who said that must happen? Um, you know, traditionally, the news media has been kind of the the guarantor of uh, of, of fact and and, and vetting information, uh, and social media essentially allows uh, government figures and government organizations to uh, disseminate information. Uh, past that screen uh, of the media directly to people, uh, whether it's true or not uh, intentionally or otherwise. And so there also is a question that may get raised uh, increasingly here of uh, should uh, government accounts be treated differently if they do indeed exist here? I mean, should they look more like traditional websites? Should I be able to follow them? Should I be able to uh, at them and and, and tweet things and interact with them? Or should they be more of just a state informational source um, that can uh, more easily be be vetted and checked uh, by the media, which is, is the, the, the role of, uh, uh, of the media.
0: Hey, Chase, one thing that the president did do uh, over the last, uh, certainly over the last couple of months, is that he, he sort of brought to larger, uh, more public attention on Section 230, um, which is uh, basically allows social media companies, social media platforms, not to be held liable for the, the content uh, that's that's on there and allows people basically they're they're not regulated like media companies. Do you get any sense that we will see a, a bigger push uh, from Democrats to to <clears throat> regulate media companies, uh, regulate social media platforms like they are media companies and to do something about uh, Section 230 Biden Biden's weighed in on it a little bit.
2: Yeah, I think that is an issue that we've absolutely not heard the end of. Uh, Biden has absolutely spoken uh, in the past and on the campaign trail uh, when when he was uh, still candidate Biden uh, uh, about the idea of uh, of necessarily so just demolishing Section Two Hundred and Thirty, but but reforming it. And I think he's kind of left that uh, open uh, on purpose for for debate and to to see where he wants to take that and where politically that that uh, he can possibly take that. But I think um, the idea uh, that Uh, social media companies can only uh, deal uh, with uh, uh, censoring, so to speak, so much content on their platform, but that if they are responsible uh, legally for things that are said there, which is not the case now because of Section 230, that that is going to very much change the calculus in terms of what they allow, because they are going to face legal liability for if someone Uh, you know, incites violence on their platform, and then that violence happens, like we frankly saw yesterday, um, they would be liable. They would not just be uh, the platform, so to speak. I mean, they would be the gatekeeper that that would uh, uh, be facing uh, legal liability and kind of an existential question of of can they continue to exist if they have that liability.
1: Joe, before we go, I want to ask you one question. Have you thought about what it's like have you thought about what it's going to be like to not have a president who is sort of governing from Twitter and having to be glued to that account all day?
0: I, it's going to be, it's, it's dizzying uh, because, you know, we, we went uh, for many years without having to watch what the president says. Although I think we've, we've done a good job here at the Chronicle, at least of sort of, we, we don't jump in on every presidential tweet because that's, that's more than one full-time job. Um, but I think it's important, uh, no matter who the president is, is to just put it in context, but yeah, oh my God, that is a, that's a, that's a fire hose that that man has had for four years. It's, um, I think there's going to be books and uh, more books and, and, and so much uh, study of that uh, Twitter feed for the last four years. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 no, it's, it's been exhausting at one level. Well, that that was a that was a wonderful uh, joint episode of uh, Fifth and Mission, and it's all political. I think we need a logo, perhaps. Would, should it be a joint?
1: That was great, and Chase, <laughs> I think you need your own podcast too, so we can Absolutely. do sort of yeah. that as soon as possible. Yeah, let's do that. All right, thanks, everyone. This is a joint episode of Fifth and Mission, and it's all political. I'm Damian Bulwa, and I'm Joe Garofoli. And we want to thank our guest. He's a technology and workplace reporter, Chase DiFelice Antonio. And also to Karen Creighton for producing this episode. And thank you for listening.